welcome to the Find Your Best Future podcast. This is the podcast that helps international families make great decisions when it comes to choosing university courses. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Find Your Best Future podcast. Today um, we're going to be taking a look at studying in English, but studying in English in Europe. Jeremy, uh, uh, is this a, a realistic option for students? It most certainly is. In fact, there are a lot of opportunities for students to study in English in Europe. I mean, obviously, apart from the UK, but I think for this episode, we're going to focus on countries um, in mainland Europe. Yeah, indeed. And, and you know, um, this has been a particular growth area, hasn't it, uh, uh, over the last 10 years? Uh, and as you said, uh, there are lots of exciting opportunities. So let's get to it. So you mentioned talking about uh, uh, the non-English speaking areas of Europe. Uh, what does that really include? It includes uh, 44 different countries and over 200 languages. And wow. thousands of universities and hundreds of thousands of courses. Obviously, uh, the majority of those courses are taught in the national language of each country, but nevertheless, there are still thousands of courses on offer in English and therefore accessible to international students. And, you know, I, I said uh, non-English speaking countries, but that isn't exactly true, is it? Because if you dig around, um, English is spoken in, in quite a few locations across Europe. Yeah, you're quite right, actually. Uh, I mean, as soon as people talk about English and Europe, they automatically think of the UK. But as I said just now, we're going to put that to one side. We've done a separate episode on studying in the UK. Um, the other English-speaking countries, well, of course, Ireland. And yeah, we've Ireland. done an episode on Ireland as well, haven't we? We have indeed, Where yes. else? Well, there's also Cyprus, Malta and Gibraltar. Oh, of course, have, I hadn't they, thought about them. They all have English as a national language and, of course, uh, universities that teach in English. And most people overlook these countries because they're fairly small, uh, but nevertheless, worth checking out. Indeed, indeed. So just give us a sort of broad stroke picture of uh, higher education bachelor's courses in Europe. How are they run? Well, I think that uh, for the purposes of this episode, uh, students, uh, listeners are possibly interested in what's on offer out there. And I would break this down into three distinct parts. First of right. all, there are the publicly funded state universities in each European country. Then there are private or semi-private European universities. And mm -hmm. then finally, there are American universities that have a campus in Europe. And all, right. three, all three of these categories um, offer opportunities for you to study in English. Okay. Okay. And, and um, uh, you know, how do we know what sort of universities you should consider um, going, uh, going to Europe? Because, you know, it's very diverse. And, um, you know, when you're looking at the UK, you've got UCAS, it's really simple. And America, USA, you've got uh, Common App. Uh, what kind of things should you be thinking about? Um, well, UCAS and Common App, of course, are application portals for the United States and the UK. Um, oh. In Europe, you have a very mixed picture. If you're talking oh. about government-run universities, then each and every country has its own system. 
Um, but it's probably more useful to focus initially on the sort of the international universities um, around Europe, because I think that's probably the first place that most listeners will hone in on. Right. And conveniently, there, there are two major groupings and many other individual universities. The first major group is the European Universities Consortium. Okay. And they are made up of member universities spread across Italy, Germany, Switzerland, Spain, Austria, Ireland, Belgium. And they, they actually, they, they include some very big names, places like Bocconi University in Italy, a, a top-ranked world university, the Ecole Hôtelier de Lausanne, the number one in the hospitality industry worldwide, the IE University in Madrid. Then we have the Jacobs University in Bremen. This is an interesting one, Jacobs University, because they do a lot of science-based courses. Um, most of these universities focus more towards humanities and not so much in the sciences. And then we have Trinity College Dublin, which again is a very, very top university. Brussels School of Governance, most interesting if you want to go into sort of the politics, international relations area, because Brussels being the headquarters of NATO and the EU, uh, this university is very well networked for internships. So there's a lot out there. And, and, you know, this is similar to the Russell Group that we discussed in a previous podcast, is it? Uh, I.e. they're sort of a, a, a loose group of, uh, uh, of member organisations that um, decide that they uh, are going to get mutual benefit by, by doing things together. Yes, in fact, this particular group of universities came to visit uh, the Vienna International School where I work. Uh, they were with us last week and uh, put on a presentation. Drew a lot of interest from the students, naturally, because there were several universities being represented. And each of these universities um, specialised in a different area. The, the, the Karl Benz University is uh, in Karlsruhe in Germany, and they mm. specialise in engineering. Um, so there's, there's a lot to be said for having a, um, a consortium of universities who operate right. together. And, and what was the other group that you mentioned? Well, the other group is the Association of American International Colleges and Universities uh, around Europe. Um, it's American University in Dublin. Uh, then there's Richmond University in London. American University in Paris. John Cabot University in Rome. Uh, Maris University in Florence. Uh, St. Louis University in Madrid, Franklin University in Lugano, Switzerland, etc. And oh, not too bad places uh, to study. Pretty nice, I would say. Yes, in fact, I've just come <laughs> back. I've just come back from a visit to Maris University in Florence, and yeah, Florence is lovely. Sure. And if you are a listener interested in anything to do with art, um, then you definitely need to head to Florence. It is the place. Sure. And and but generally speaking. Uh, Taking a look at the ranking sites using Google uh, would be, um, uh, you know, a regular way to uh, uh, approach finding a university, perhaps. Yes, indeed. Uh, there are many, many others that we haven't uh, flagged up. Um, but by using Google, you will certainly find a lot of different uh, universities around Europe. Just a word of caution. You do need okay. to make sure that they are properly accredited. This means they're recognized by usually by the local government of that country or possibly be uh, by one of the major American accreditation agencies. This is important because if you go and do a bachelor's degree, there's every chance you want to go on to another university somewhere and do a, a master's degree. 
And if you have studied at a university that's not properly accredited, this is going to be very problematic for you. So please okay. make sure that it has proper accreditation. Well, maybe we need to look at that at a, a different podcast because it's obviously a critical issue. Um, so let's zoom in on Europe. Uh, you know, what are the advantages of going to Europe and, uh, and studying there? Well, it can be quite exciting for people coming in from different continents. Uh, you're going to experience a new culture and you also challenge yourself by moving outside your comfort zone. And by doing that, you're going to grow as a person, uh, meet interesting people from other countries around the world. Right. Um, maybe you can learn a new language. Uh, a lot of people are motivated to do that. They move to one of the major European countries because they want to learn French or Italian or German, something like that. Um, and Europe as a continent, it's extremely easy to travel around. Um, so on the weekends and during your holidays, you can basically do what other people pay a lot of money to do as tourists. And you can just hop on a cut price airline or a train and uh, go out and explore Europe. Sure. Um, anything else? Yeah, I mean, there's some very, very top quality universities in Europe. And we just flagged and I think that's couple, really important to mention, isn't it? Very we're, important, talking, yes. we're talking um, really high quality uh, programs on offer here. Yes, very. Um, if you're going to go and look at the rankings, I know we've done a separate episode on rankings. Um, you will find there are many European universities ranked right up there in the uh, top echelon of worldwide yeah. rankings. Okay, um, and other benefits? And then there are opportunities to work. Um, even if you're not a, a European Union citizen, so you're an international citizen, uh, most of the European countries will let you work. Um, they will restrict the number of hours. It's usually 20 hours a week in most countries. But nevertheless, if you're a full-time student, you probably won't have more time than that anyway. Um, mm. So that could be interesting for you. Um, internships are sometimes an integral part of a degree program. Um, relatively high salaries, of course, in most European countries, especially in Western Europe, Northern Europe. Um, very good medical care right across Europe. Um, and you're, you're going to make friends, friends for life. Uh, and then, of course, we have low tuition fees. in. Yeah, we'll European be getting to that in a minute. We will, um, yes. And, <laughs> um, you know, and of course, uh, three-year bachelor degrees, um, uh, let's zoom in on, on, on that particular area now. How is higher education in Europe structured? There's something called um, some kind of declaration, wasn't there, made uh, at the end of the last century? Uh, yes, there was, because all the European countries have different systems, and they, they tried to get some, some uniformity into this. And so there's something called the Bologna Declaration, or Bologna Ooh. Accord. And this was signed in 1999. I thought that was a, a sausage that you put in uh, in a sandwich. Uh, oh, that's bologna, sorry. Um, no, Neil. Yeah, it's, carry, carry, carry on, carry on. It's a big city in northern Italy, Neil, with one of the world's ah, old, okay. oldest universities, actually. <laughs> but never, okay, so back back to the... Uh, the <laughs> um, most European countries have committed under this accord to offer three-year bachelor programs. I mean, there are some variations. Um, Scotland is one, actually, we do four years. And of course, if you are going to take a three-year bachelor degree and then add an extra year for internships or exchange programs, then that obviously stretches it. But the standard degree in Europe is three years. Um, mm -hmm. So 
If you're studying in an EU country, then your qualifications are automatically uh, recognized by the other EU countries, which is quite nice if you want to change countries for your future studies or work. Um, and this Bologna Declaration also established a system of credits, um, the European credit system. Um, so you, right. you get, let's, you, let's talk a little bit about that because it, it's yeah. really interesting, isn't it? Because a credit is not a credit. Um, depending on where you are, credits are different, aren't they? Uh, um, let's talk about uh, the European credit. How many yes. credits do you need for 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 a, for a bachelor's degree, and what are these credits? Well, you, you get a credit for for each uh, unit or, or of a course which you successfully complete. Now, you would normally complete roughly sixty credits a year if you're a normal student. Uh, going through the course at the regular pace. Um, right. And you, you'll need to have, for a bachelor's degree, either 180 or possibly 240. Obviously, 180 would be three years, that's 60 per year, and 240 right. would be obviously four years. And that's and that really how, probably... how it's broken down. Okay, understood. And, and I know from uh, my, my life that uh, an American credit is actually... Um, there are three of them to one of the European credits. So uh, uh, in North America, um, you're looking at the 180 number um, instead of the 60 number generally. Um, so it can get a bit confusing. Um, uh, 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 are um, are uh, European universities, do they charge per credit like they do in um, North America, or is there a sort of annual fee uh, structure like in the UK? I know it can be quite complicated to work out how much you really need to pay when you look on some of the, the North American uh, university websites, particularly the Canadian ones, uh, charging you per credit. But the good news is that in Europe, you just get charged an annual tuition fee. Right. Okay. And let's let's zoom in there. So so. One of the big um, advantages, of, obviously, is three years over four years, and we've talked about that previously. And that impacts not just the uh, uh, the um, the cost of study, but also the fact that you get one more year to earn money potentially if you choose it, or one year to go on a gap year and party uh, across the globe, whatever you want. Um, uh, but there's also some more good news, isn't there, around tuition if if you're careful. Yes, uh, most European uh, countries have two levels of tuition fees, those for European Union citizens and those for everybody else, uh, international students. Now, right. here comes a piece of really good news. There are a couple of countries which are free for everybody, irrespective of your nationality. So, and Germany and Norway are the two examples that we have for you. And of course, both of those countries offer courses taught in English. So, if so you want to go slow, and... slow down here, slow down. Yeah. I'm, I have, maybe this is just, uh, I'm, I'm <laughs> in shock here. So, it's good to be true. <laughs> so, it's right. It doesn't matter where you come from. You, If you go to Germany or Norway, you can study a bachelor's and they won't charge you a penny. That's right. In fact, I was talking to a, a Nigerian student recently and she's studying in Norway. Uh, and, wow. Okay. So that's incredible. Um, and there's even more good news if you're uh, an EU citizen, isn't it? 
Yes, um, in, uh, within the EU, if you're an EU citizen, you can study for free in the following countries, Austria, Denmark, Finland, France, Germany, Greece, Hungary, Norway, Poland, Slovenia, Sweden, Czech Republic, and Spain have minimal fees. Um, oh my so, goodness me. I mean, we're, we're talking like two or 300 euros a year type of fee. Um, sure. But even if you're not an EU citizen, um, there are several European countries where you can probably study for under 3,000 euros a year, which compared to other parts of the world is very reasonable. And those right. countries so, would yes. be Austria, Greece, Hungary, and Poland. Okay. Or, or again, you might want to go to the European country which has the largest selection of English taught courses, and it really does have a large selection. And that country is the Netherlands. Um, right. If you are an well, EU... You told, you told me off for calling it Holland the other day. Uh, well, uh, so I've been trying to relearn, I... relearn the Netherlands. Um, oh. and, and they really are. They do have a huge choice, don't they? And they the cost... Do. It's absolutely remarkable. And if you want to have a look, uh, the website is very easy to remember. It's called studyinholland.nl. Right. There you go, Neil. They use cost... the word Holland, not Netherlands, because it's, yeah, shorter, no. it's shorter to type <laughs> into Certainly a website. Is. Yeah. How much does it cost uh, in uh, the Netherlands? Well, again, there is a split here between EU citizens and non-EU if you are an EU citizen, it's between about 2,100 and 3,500 euros a year. Right. And if you are not an EU citizen, it's about 10,000 or a little bit more per year. Okay. But still, compared with other options, um, good value. Uh, I'm just sitting here thinking, uh, wow, that, that, that offers uh, a huge amount of opportunity, not just for... for European citizens, but uh, also for others, does it not? It does indeed, yes. Uh, there's an increasing number of uh, students from outside Europe coming into Europe to avail themselves of this opportunity. Top-rate right. education. Of course, the reason is that uh, we're talking here, obviously, about state-run universities. Yeah, of course. Those prices I've just quoted don't apply to private universities. Um, the state-run universities in Europe are heavily... Uh, financed or even sometimes completely financed by taxpayers' money, which is why they can afford to have lower tuition fees. Right. So let's play this out. Um, if you're a Canadian or American and at home you're confronted with, I don't know, 25,000 US dollar bill plus living, it's quite a tempting uh, proposition, is it not? Yes, if you're an, uh, an American parent listening to this, you can send your son or daughter to, well, Germany or Norway for free. And then all you've got to do is finance the air ticket and the uh, housing costs. And your son or daughter will have an amazing experience. And then if he or she wants to come back to the U.S. for the master's degree, that works too. Wow. So uh, these, are, these are serious top tips um, for, yes. for people. Um, what other... You know, costs are there. I guess you mentioned the living costs. Uh, um, they vary enormously, I guess, uh, across Europe. Yes. Uh, generally speaking, living costs in Eastern Europe are lower than those in Western Europe. Um, right. Just an example, if you take a, a country like Germany, you probably need about 1,200 euros a month to live on to cover your rent and food, maybe a little more uh, in some cities. In Poland and other East European countries, you probably get away with little over half of that number 
Um, right. So there is a substantial saving there. So classically, it's north and west that are more expensive and south and east that are less expensive, uh, I guess, more, uh, Spain more and Portugal. Well, well, Spain and Italy are going to be uh, sort of West European uh, costs. Sure. Yeah. Indeed. Okay. And you're, you're talking about sort of similar setup uh, uh, pretty much across the, you know, the European countries in terms of housing, um, in terms of, uh, you know, ease of finding uh, all of the things you need? Um, if you are used to the sort of the, the US, Canadian, British model of, you know, halls of residence, dormitories, campuses, housing blocks, those are, I would say, rare in Europe. Yeah. Um, most students, I mean, the, 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 there is university-owned housing, and they will help you find housing if you're coming in from right. abroad, but it's not set up in quite the same way. It, it, it's more diverse, I would say. Um, okay. And, but the, but universities recognize that it's difficult for a foreign student moving to a foreign country where they don't speak the local language to find housing. Uh, so they, they obviously help you with this. Right. Okay. But maybe you need to, to bear that in mind. You need to be a little bit more adventurous than perhaps uh, uh, heading off to the UK or, or North America. Um, is there any other differences, sort of extracurricular activities, um, uh, or are they sort of aligned with the kind of things you can expect in in uh, in North America, Europe, uh, UK? Well, the interesting thing about sort of UK and North America is there's just a, a huge number of clubs, societies, extracurricular activities. In fact, in most universities, there are so many um, that this won't even fit on two pages of a piece of paper. Um, and you certainly won't have time to do them all. Um, European universities generally have uh, fewer of these activities on offer. But nevertheless, um, it should be plenty for you because, as I said, you do actually have to go there and work. And as long as you yeah, and find... I think that's important. I yeah. mean, uh, European universities are, are known uh, as places of hard work uh, yes. rather than oh, yes. fun. And, 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 you know, anyone considering going and studying Europe, especially at a state-funded university, would need to understand that uh, uh, the standards are generally high. Is that right? Yes, it is. Um, but I, th I think we, we don't want to overplay this and put people no. off too much. Um, no, indeed. You, you can certainly have a fun time at a European you university, can. but you will have to work. So choosing a university is a, you know, a science in itself, and we've done... Uh, uh, an episode especially uh, about going about choosing university, indeed an episode about choosing courses. But of course, when you're looking at a very diverse continent, uh, you need to uh, approach it perhaps with a little bit more rigour. Yes, uh, as you say, it is a diverse continent, lots of different countries and cultures. So you need to think about which country and culture you would best fit and be sure that you're going to land in a place where you're going to feel comfortable. Uh, so that sort of covers the country end of things. And then the university end of things, obviously you've got to find a course that meets your needs and maybe teaching style that you like. Um, can you work in that country? Uh, that might be an important consideration for you. Is there special needs support, counseling services, medical services, all those sort of things, right. are things that you need to be looking at. 
indeed, but inevitably the, the 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 critical factor here will be do they offer the course in English? Yes, oh, very much so. That's that's the first thing to look for, because obviously if they don't offer it in English and you can't speak the local language, then I think you have to move on. And I think the, the other thing that students need to be aware of is that, that courses may be being offered in English, but they may require um, another language uh, as well. I, I know that... Um, you know, I was sort of um, cruising around in German university websites and, um, you know, they say they're offered in English and they are, but they expect um, you to be able to, to speak German uh, for some elements of the course. So um, you need to be really quite careful, I think, about what is completely in English uh, and what is not. Am I right? Yes, uh, you, you have to look carefully. And most of these websites have a pretty good filter system, so you they can do. actually filter the ones which are 100% in English. Right, um, yeah. indeed. Indeed, but make sure that you you don't get too excited on the website <laughs> when you see all of these courses, and then, of course, they're all taught in Swedish, uh, uh, and you're left with the choice of three, perhaps. Uh, you mentioned work. Um, uh as an EU citizen, of course, you're allowed to live and work anywhere in the EU. What's the situation, though, for a non-EU situation? Well, a, a non-EU citizen will, will obviously have to have a visa to be in the EU, a student visa from the particular country in which they land up. Um, it's worth pointing out the, the, that the EU is split into different countries and you have to go through the the national system of that country. Yeah, it's that's not really like it, important. It's, it's not, not like, like it. the USA, is it? No, no, it's not. Um, you know, and so so systems tend to be uh, very, very different depending on which country they are in. Um, and, uh, you know, the visa process can vary enormously in terms of its timeline, I guess. Yes, um, I think that the best advice really is to contact the university you're going to attend and ask them for advice. Uh, universities have people in their offices who can help you and advise you on how to go about um, sure. applying for a visa. In fact, some of the European countries have very not nicely set out websites. Uh, you just go on there and do the form filling and upload bits and pieces of paper, and then you get a visa. And others are yeah. a little more complicated. Exactly. But I think your, your um, uh, frequent piece of advice may come into play here, which is... Early, really, always yes, with visas always. and paperwork. Start early. Um, what about applying to the universities? Are there sort of any sort of general approaches? Is there any sort of European-wide system for applying for bachelors, or do you have to do it uh, university for university? Well, we we were doing a podcast uh, recently episode, and we were looking at a centralised system. That was the UK, uh, right. and the system is called UCAS now. Some countries have centralized or semi-centralized systems and others not. Um, so it's a very much a mixed picture. Um, but okay. as, as a general rule, if you're applying to a country that does not have a centralized system, then you just create an account on the university's own website. You do the form filling. You upload what they call supporting documents. Now, these vary a bit from place to place, typically a photo page of your passport, uh, maybe a motivation letter, possibly a CV or resume, maybe a recommendation letter from a teacher or a counsellor, certainly a transcript of your grades achieved in school, 
and eventually your final school exams. Um, right. So this is a fairly standard uh, format, I would say, for most European universities, the ones that are not operating in a centralized system. Okay. Now let's sort of take a quick look at, uh, at the different um, countries, the big ones, I guess. Uh, I know that we've, we've already created an episode about studying in Holland, uh, but could you just give us a quick uh, uh, indicator of what you need to do if you uh, want to go there? Certainly. In, uh, I would say the Netherlands has a sort of a semi-centralized system. Initially, you create your account in a website called studylink.nl. Uh, take about five minutes with basic form filling. And then you have to click in uh, the four universities that you want. Only four, okay. by the way, maximum. And then let's say, for example, you select the University of Amsterdam. The StudioLink software talks to the University of Amsterdam software. They notice that you've listed them. They send you an email inviting you to log in to the Amsterdam University website and create an account there. Then you do the form filling, you upload supporting documents. And when all that's done, you have completed your application. They will process it and offer you a place. Okay. And what about Germany? Germany is very complicated, depending on... Surprise, surprise. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, depending on your nationality and which Bundesland or federal state you're in. Um, yeah, I think the, the best advice really is um, you're, you're either going to make a direct application online uh, through a, a website called UniAssist, but that's not for every course and every nationality of student. Uh, as I said, it's extremely complicated. I think the best advice is to contact the university. And they have something called Academisches Auslandsamt, uh, which means academic <laughs> sort of foreign office or office. service. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I mean, the bottom line is with Germany, contact your university and ask them, because otherwise you're going to drive yourself crazy trying to look through all this. And, and I think that's really important. It, and, and people are generally really helpful. Yes, they uh, So you yes. don't need yeah. to uh, to worry too much about it. I think the other thing is um, the deadlines often in Europe are, uh, for applications are much later than than um, in in other locations. Is that not the case? Um, there is a lot. Um, okay. Certainly in Germany, it's later. It's July fifteenth um, is a standard right. deadline, um, but in other countries, it could be January the fifteenth, like in Sweden, uh, okay. for example. Well, let's the, move the to Sweden. Um, uh, yeah. You know, Sweden, uh, simple or easy? Um, quite straightforward. I would say, got a nice centralised system called UniversityAdmissions.se. You go in there, you do the form filling, upload whatever documents they require, and you're in the system. Okay, and and we could go on for ages, but we won't. Let's, uh, yeah, um, you know, I, in reality, you you, you just need to uh, get on Google and ask uh, a few yes. um, uh, good questions, don't you? Um, and uh, and and do a little bit of digging around, I guess. Uh, yeah, you're quite right because thing. we we start off by saying there are 44 countries in Europe, and we certainly don't have time to go through all 44 application systems. And I don't think you listeners would want us to either. Um, but that's just a flag up of a few ideas uh, of the diversity right. of, of applications. Right, indeed. And so if you're interested in a location, uh, get online. Um, again, you could probably make some generalizations. Northern Europe 
uh, tend to have uh, English language um, uh, websites that make things very easy. I'm thinking, you know, you mentioned study in Holland, but there's also study in Sweden, a study in Norway, um, a, a study in Denmark site. Um, I think there's even a study in Germany site. Um, but, uh, you know, generally go out there and take a look around. Um, let's move away now, away from uh, countries and towards subjects, uh, areas that you want to study. Um, you know, uh, I'm thinking of, of, of medicine, a uh, hugely expensive uh, uh, area to study normally. How, could could you study medicine in Europe uh, as a well, as a European or a non-European? That's the interesting thing. Uh, in Europe, you actually start studying medicine straight from school. In North America, it's a graduate entry program. Right. And so, in in European countries, you will go into a, a med school, a medical university, and you'll typically do five years, then plus two more years in a hospital before you become a fully qualified doctor. Okay. That's the fully the the norm in Europe. Price-wise, right. um, of course, it, it does vary hugely. Um, price range, yeah. I mean, if, if price is an issue for you, you, you really need to shop around because um, some of the East European medical schools, obviously teaching in English, um, offer some very good deals. And they do, and, and I know that a lot of Germans, uh, historically Germans, who wanted to become doctors maybe didn't have quite the grades, they they pop over to uh, Czech Republic or to um, uh, Hungary uh, and get some high quality education there, um, and and you know well known aren't they? Uh, uh, yes, oh yeah, in, in in that area. Um, if if you want to see what's available around Eastern Europe uh, or indeed around the world taught in English, there's an excellent website. It's called Value Med. That's just okay. MD at the end. ValueMed.com. And then you can use the filters for, let's say, for Europe, and you'll see a big list. And uh, I was having a look at this, and the cheapest ones started around $4,000 a year, which right. is astoundingly cheap for a medical it school. It is. And obviously, it goes on up from there. And I, I think I, I was, again, on my travels uh, preparing for the, for the, for the podcast, I, uh, I went and looked in Malta. And um, I think um, in a very, very good value uh, programs there um, that really um, offer offer significant uh, uh, benefit. Um, do you need to be a national of the EU, or, or is it sort of a mixed picture like that? No, it's a very mixed picture. I've I've actually been to visit some of these East European uh, medical schools, and uh, I noticed uh, a huge range of different nationality students on their their international course. I mean. You sort of flanked up like Czech Republic and Hungary. Um, the Charles University in Prague in the Czech Republic is a very old, famous, established European university. Amazing as place. A, uh, yes, as is the Semmelweis University in Budapest, Hungary. And they've been teaching medicine for hundreds of years, originally in Latin. But nowadays, of course, they teach in their own national language plus English. Um, so they have a long pedigree of delivering high-quality medical training. Right. And law? Law. And law is an interesting one. Every time a student comes to my office and says they want to study law, I ask them this question. Do you want to work as a lawyer in the court system of a country 
Or do you want to take your law degree and use it working for a company, an international organization? Almost all of my students pick the second option. But just in case you want to work in the, in the uh, court system of your own country, then you have to study in that country because every single country has their own uh, legal system. A really, really important message, isn't it, that one? Yes. Uh, and, and, you know, we have one word, a lawyer, but in fact, uh, uh, you know, it actually covers two completely distinct professional uh, areas. Um, so can, can, I, can I go and study um, to be a lawyer for a company then in Europe? Uh, uh, are there options there? Yes, indeed. Uh, you can go and do a, a law degree and uh, in the latter part of your degree, there'll be more flexibility as, uh, as to which units and electives that you select. Uh, if, for example, you know you want to go and work um, in the EU, then uh, you can just take uh, a course called EU law. If you're sure. particularly interested in, in, in trade, seaborne sea trade, then you can take a unit called maritime law. There's just a vast selection of things you could possibly do. Okay, but these courses are available. And of course, yeah. compared with other locations, maybe it's a, a quicker route uh, and perhaps even a, um, um, a far more cost-effective route of, of getting your uh, uh, law qualifications uh, by going to Europe. Yes, it is. Um, business, uh, I guess uh, you can't can't go anywhere now without uh, coming across uh, uh, business courses. Um, are the offerings uh, as wide and diverse in Europe as they are elsewhere? Yes, there's a huge number of business programs available in Europe taught in English. Um, the question is, you know, where do you want to go? Um, do you have any particular preferences as as to where you live? and the, the quality of the institution that you study at. Um, yeah, it's a personal choice, obviously, but there are some very good business programs around. And I think the thing that we need also to stress is that, um, you know, there are private universities as well, and their price points are naturally uh, are different to the state-funded universities. Uh, and so um, you need to be careful that um, you don't uh, compare you know, apples and oranges in this in this uh, realm. Um, you know, Germany may be free, but the private universities are not, and often their business courses uh, are being offered at, at business schools or or business universities. Is that right? Yes. Um, not only is there a great uh, diversity of offerings as 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 far as countries and, and universities is concerned, but also as far as cost is concerned. Uh, and the bottom line is. Do you want to go to a state-run government university, which is subsidized by taxpayers' money in Europe, and therefore either has free or low tuition fees? Or do you want to go to a private university or perhaps um, a college of an American university, but the college is located in Europe? Those ones tend to be more expensive as well. And there's uh, a huge range of tuition fees from free up to, well, tens of thousands of dollars a year. Summing up, Jeremy, um, what are the most important things to think about if you are considering studying in English in Europe? Well, the first thing to realize is there's an enormous variety of countries and universities around Europe. 
So think a little bit about what country you'd like to be living in because you actually have to go and live there. Um, secondly, perhaps you are keen to pick up a new language. This could be uh, very important for you in your future career, or perhaps you're just uh, keen on learning languages for the sake of learning a new language. Uh, both sure. are perfectly valid ways to move forward. And then think a little bit about the different categories of universities in Europe. We flagged this up at the beginning. You have the government-run universities, and then you have the private universities, and then you have American universities in Europe. Uh, these are campuses of universities with their headquarters back home in the United States. So those are the three main categories. Shop around and see which one suits you best. I think the other thing um, that I'd say is we spoke uh, often about looking at the course level. Um, certainly, if you're if you're looking, for instance, um, uh, for engineering courses and applied engineering courses, obviously one location may be better than the other. You mentioned the Jacobs University in uh, in Germany, but many German. Um, uh, Dutch uh, universities is really strong in this area of engineering, mechatronics, whereas you yeah. may choose to go to The Hague or Brussels or, or Maastricht if you are looking at law or international relations. Um, so I think uh, uh, that's also important, uh, Jeremy, is it not? It is. It's very important. Um, I mean, you, there, there are some countries which are associated with high-quality engineering. You flagged up. Germany, for example, then there's also Switzerland and Sweden. Sure, of and, course. And others. Um, so you have to have a little look around and find out where you are best going to fit in, in terms of where you want to live, and also in terms of the quality of instruction in your chosen subject. Fantastic. But certainly an opportunity that's worth considering, uh, regardless of your nationality. Thank you, Jeremy, today. Um, we're uh, at the most important part of the uh, the podcast today, uh, um, and, and I, you know, you have a number of followers who uh, are particularly interested in your dietary habits. Uh, so I have to feel, well, I feel obliged really to ask the the question: uh, What is it tonight? Well, I mean, if I really have some followers, um, maybe one day I'll publish one of those cookbooks. But until then. <laughs> I think you're probably probably better off listening Nin to my thoughts on college counselling. Ninety-seven different <laughs> variants of a cheese sandwich. Or... Neil, you you always assume I'm going to have a cheese sandwich every night, and I always come up with something different. But unfortunately, tonight you're actually you're actually correct. I Are you am going having... for the tomato variant, or the or the peanut variant, or or the cucumber ah, variant? Well, that that is the key question. Um, it it's is. Going to be the, it's going to be a tomato variant because I'm going to be away for the next few days visiting uh, the Toulouse Business School in France wow. and also their campus in Barcelona, and wow. therefore I have to empty out my fridge, um, <laughs> <laughs> and so. It's sort of leftovers time, which happens to be cheese sandwich with tomato. Sounds great to me. You enjoy the cheese be. sandwich. I'll speak to you soon uh, after you get back from Toulouse. Have a good Thank time. You. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe and share the Find Your Best Future podcast.